Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Do you have plans August 25th and 26th? Add Leading Reliability Conference to your calendar. Join Iridicio, RDI Technologies, Fluke Reliability, and UE Systems for a live and in-person conference in Clearwater, Florida. Hear from the top industry leaders on industry hot topics. Each company will also be hosting pre- and post-event workshops. Don't miss out on the event of the year. To learn more about the Leading Reliability Conference and to register for the event, visit www.leadingreliability.com or check them out on LinkedIn. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Joe Anderson and George Williams to the podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Thanks so, for having us. you know, for those that may not be familiar with you, you guys are the founders of Reliability X. You help a lot of organizations with training, consulting, all those great things. Although super, super brief, what can you tell us about yourselves and Reliability X? Um, as far as Reliability X is concerned, we kind of touch on um, all spaces and asset management, reliability, operations, and maintenance. Um, we help with um, assessments and implementation, um, as well as coaching, mentoring, and uh, we're working towards online classes at this time. So um, that will be coming soon. Uh, myself, Joe Anderson, I've uh, been in the industry as a practitioner for about 25 years um, between food and pharmaceuticals. Um, helping uh, with plant turnarounds is kind of my niche, uh, driving maintenance as a center of excellence. Um, and then uh, moved on to consulting and helping other groups uh, do the same. And I'm George Williams. Uh, my majority of my background is in pharmaceuticals or medical devices. Um, I, so most of my career was spent um, climbing a ladder from technician through planner and, and maintenance manager through being responsible for reliability at a site level and regionally and then ultimately globally um, before Joe and I decided to start Reliability Excellence. All right. Excellent. And what we want to talk about today is something that you guys are probably very well versed in. You guys recognize that you can't make this journey with maintenance alone, the, the journey to reliability, to world-class maintenance, uh, whatever the flavor is that you want to call it. But we need operations involvement. So what we want to talk today about is operational standards. You know, Why do we need that partnership between maintenance and operations and how do we really get there? So I guess to kind of start off with, you know, what is an operational standard? Um, an operational standard kind of by definition is basically a measure of excellence and a reference point um, against progress and achievements and things, whatever is best within the facility or best within the industry. Um, so you can compare your current practices um, against what best in class is and then implement uh, based on best-in-class standard. So you have a standard of excellence. 
All right, so it's creating that benchmark to follow within the organization. And they, I'm guessing they can come across in a variety of different areas, whether it's how we operate a piece of equipment, whether it's how we schedule work with operations, those types of things, right? Or am I off? Yes. Oh, there's there's a plethora. So in every area, every facet of everything, there should be a standard. All right, so. perfect. Now, why would we need these operational standards? Can we just go about doing work on like we normally do on a day by day basis? Well, um, historically, at least in the manufacturing space, in which is more my wheelhouse, uh, 99.9% of facilities are not operating at a <laughs> best in class standard, I would say. And in order to attain reliability, reliability itself, um, in a way, denotes repeatability and consistency. And so operating the same way day in and day out, um, that's a main method of helping you to achieve best-in-class results. And so in order to be the best in the industry, which in being the best, of course, you're increasing throughputs, you're reducing costs, um, you're a safer facility, you're a more reliable facility. I guess the real question is, is why wouldn't you be putting standards in place if that's what the best is doing? Um, and so your need to do those is to give you that consistency, that repeatability, um, and, and the growth that's needed for operators um, in order to achieve a best-in-class result. So... I would pose a question back to say, why wouldn't you be doing these? If this is what <laughs> the best. <laughs> this so is it, what the best do. It, right. It's 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 interesting, James. That you know, in maintenance and reliability, we look at assets and and try to achieve uptime or availability of the asset for the sake of the asset, and we forget about the business, or we don't understand the business, or what the asset's value proposition is. And I look at it like this, like you, like maintenance and reliability is the pit crew. <laughs> you can have the best pit crew you want, but if the driver doesn't know how to drive the vehicle, you're not going anywhere. And so the business is winning races. The business is trying to be in first place. And if only the pit crew is working towards that, how successful are we going to be? I agree 100%. You know, we need to have those standards in place. We're operating correctly. We're doing all those different things. I guess, you know, Joe, to kind of answer your question, why wouldn't we do this? Well, it's hard work. It's not easy. <laughs> right. It's, well, I, the thing is, is that we all work hard anyway. The question is, is are we doing the right hard work? Yes, I would agree 100% with that. And so, and so, yeah, we look at it as, yeah, that's hard work, but you're already working hard anyway. Once you get standards in place and train people, that hard work that you're doing day in and day out starts becoming easy. So why not put in the work for two or three months and and get people coached up and, and trained and make your life easy? And so that's kind of the way that I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when we're developing these standards, are we only needing them when we're embarking on like a TPM journey and operator care journey, or are these required in a traditional organization as well? 
you can call it whatever you want. You're either operating great or you're operating poorly. Whatever system you're using, you can call it whatever you want. But in order to be the best, it's, it's required to have the standards. If you look at organizations without standards, I would love to see the best within that class of, of people that have no standards and compare them to the best in class that have standards. And, and that would give you your answer. All right. So, um, I think through years of, of doing work, um, people without standards, they hide a lot of losses in their organization. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, um, 10 years ago, they built a line and when they engineered it, they designed that line to produce, you know, 10 million units a year. But they never achieved it, never even got close. A lot of these organizations will produce three or four million units a year, and that's their best year on these lines. And so what they do is they normalize that. And they say, well, this is the best we can do. And without standards and things in place in order to gain back um, that design rate that you paid for, um, you know, they kind of mask it and, and it becomes a part of the picture. And so with standards, it helps you see things on the floor, see losses, things like minor stops, something that always becomes a part of the picture. Well, why is the box jamming? The box jams 600 times a day and costs you two minutes apiece. And we're complaining about the 30-minute breakdown. Right? And so when you're out there developing standards, you start to see the floor and you see the, the heartbeat and the things that are going on and it allows you to solution those things. So there's like a couple of things that happen here. One is maintenance doesn't focus on the minor stop because a work order is not written, even though it's eaten everybody's lunch. The business is lunch, right? Operations ignores the minor stop and adjusts their targets accordingly and then blames maintenance for the 30 minutes of downtime, even though they're seeing two hours of minor stops every shift. And so you've got this, this, culmination of no one either sees it or cares about it. And it's, it's not that the business doesn't, but there's not an accountability to it. When you look at availability, the availability bucket, maintenance just gets blamed for it. And, and a vast majority of what sits in there is operations related operations adjust their targets because they don't want to look red to senior leadership. And so everybody's so focused about looking good. They're not worried about getting better. And they've got all these OPEX teams and CI teams. And the only thing they focus on is increasing efficiency of poor performance. And that's not helping anybody. So we kind of change that paradigm. We come in and, and show you what reality is, show you what is possible at a line, and then put the standards in place to achieve that possibility. All right. Excellent. So improving performance, getting to that level of excellence, all is based around having these standards. Now, what is included in these operational standards then? Is it, you know, target levels, roadmaps, how we're going to get there? Or is it going down a little bit deeper to the procedural level of this is how people perform work. This is how they start up. This is how they shut down. This is how they operate. You know, what's included in 
it it's a little bit of both. It, it depends on the standard. Um, I mean, there's standards like you know one point lessons or single point lessons. Um, there's cleaning standards, inspection standards, changeover standards. Um, there's knowledge standards. There's training standards. There's settings, right? So it it kind of depends on the type of standard that you're developing. Now, if it's how to, for example, properly operate a piece of equipment, um, then you definitely get down into the procedural level. Uh, but my recommendation would be that you make them visual. What I mean by that is use pics and pictures instead of words. Um, and they say a picture's worth a thousand words, and it's really easy to take a picture and point to something on that picture um, and put it in a standard versus writing 22 paragraphs trying to explain that picture, right? That and no so, one's going to read. <laughs> no, no one's going to read a book, right? So you could write a book on how well it should operate, but no one's going to read it. No one's going to stick to it. Where if I create, for example, a cleaning standard and I just put a before pick and an after pick showing before this is how dirty it was and after this is how clean it is and we should be keeping it this clean i can do that in one page and get my point across so simplicity is key um, when developing the standard um, but what's included in it is almost unlimited but like i said i, I would just keep it as simple right. as possible now we want to keep it simple want to keep it visual who's developing these is it you know, an operational team lead? Is it a training department? Who's creating these things? Should be a cross-functional team. Um, definitely maintenance, maybe a, a mechanic that works on that line, one that knows the line well. Um, somebody from safety and quality just to make sure that the things that you are putting in don't affect either of those. Um, and then on the operations side, You'll definitely want all of the operators um, involved in the development of the standard and then maybe a, a supervisor or somebody, a lead, somebody that knows um, that line well. But you definitely want people that know, you know, whatever that piece of equipment or that line that you're working on, they have to know it well. Uh, but other than that, you definitely want it to have cross-functionality. It's really important, especially when it comes down to actually operating the assets or the line to, to get even all of the shifts involved. I think there's there's a, a, a couple of pieces of excellence that happen on each line and with each you know line supervisor or line lead or whomever you may call it. Right now, they come in and they just adjust the dials to what they like to operate at. And that varies from operator to operator and creates variation in performance. Somewhere in the midst of all those things is a piece of excellence from all of those shifts because they're all able to operate to some degree. And, and understanding why they're making certain adjustments and then giving them an understanding of what those adjustments actually do to performance and how each one of those affects another adjustment is really important. So the more they're involved in the creation of the standard, not only do you get the excellence that they're utilizing day to day, but you're transferring a knowledge of how those things impact further downstream. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, the more they understand 
how the op the line operates and why it's important for certain settings to be where they're at or for your raw material to be inspected coming in the more knowledge they gain in the operation itself the better of an operator they will be so regardless of the output of the the standard which is critical they're actually just going to gain a general knowledge of how the line operates, which they've probably never been. Yeah, I think that background knowledge, you know, very similar to when we do RCM analysis with maintenance, they understand a lot more about the asset, how it operates, those sorts of things. I think it benefits operations the same way. Now, why would we need maintenance to be involved in these development of these standards if they pertain to operations? Uh, quite a few reasons for this but uh to keep it kind of brief um first is they help cover gaps that may exist when developing the standard um so an operator is focused solely on you know they kind of have blinders on they they only focused on what they do from day to day um but there's other things that could affect the way that they operate and so Having maintenance in there um, kind of helps them to close those gaps. Um, another reason is to nurture the relationship between operations and maintenance by showing support, by being there trying to help. Okay, Maintenance is a service industry and our main customer's operations. And so nurturing that relationship instead of um, blaming and infighting and all that type of stuff is the first step towards true progress. And so being in there showing support and, and nurturing that relationship is key. Um, another one is, you know, everyone learns something. When, when we all sit in a room and we start discussing how to solve an issue or how to become the best or how do we operate at the best, everyone in that room is going to learn something from one another individually we don't know it all right and the more heads you put in a room the more knowledge is there and the more that you can share that knowledge the more people learn and so it's kind of key that they're bouncing back and forth off of one another um, and then the other piece and you touched on it already james is that maintenance will never be successful without a great operations group and so, and, and, you know, like George put it, you know, maintenance is the pit crew where operations is the driver. And so you'll have, you know, for example, three shifts that operate a machine and all three shifts are operating that machine differently. You might win races on first shift, but second and third, you're never winning races. And then all we do is celebrate that operator. Say so you're always you're the best and you're doing this, but we do nothing to transfer the knowledge or try to make the other shifts better. And so when it comes to maintenance, you can be what you would consider best in class in most areas. You could have the best planning and scheduling, you could have the best storeroom setup, you could be on point with your PDM. You could have the greatest hierarchy ever in your CMMS, and none of that matters if you can't operate. The reason we're in business is to make money. And so if you're not putting <laughs> packages out the door, what does it matter how great your maintenance department is? And so in order to be successful, 
a true key metric in maintenance should be your throughput and cost per unit. And so, um, I just, you just can't be successful without operations being great as well. I think one more reason why maintenance is involved in the development of the standard is the same reason we're saying get all the operators involved. But maintenance understands how to get it back running, but not necessarily what that means in terms of impact to the business. And I'll just give a brief example of this. You know, we get bad raw material coming in, packaging material, and it's mucking up the line. So what happens is they call maintenance and says the line's not running right. Maintenance comes out and they figure out what to adjust on the machine to get it to accept that bad packaging. And then a new batch of packaging comes in and it's good. What happens? The line doesn't run very well because now it's been configured for the other variation. And so maintenance gets called, they come out and they start making adjustments. Eventually the machine's no longer center lined where it's supposed to be for good packaging. And it's a complete disaster and it can't operate no matter what they get in because too many internal adjustments have been made. Maintenance has to also understand the, what operating effectively means. It means getting in raw materials that meet a standard and keeping the line center line so it can operate at design rates with good raw material. And if that raw material comes in and it's bad, we have to be rejecting it and getting another, another lot. Now, obviously we have to make business decisions once in a while and run with crappy stuff, but then that means going back and recenter lining the machine. If maintenance doesn't understand the operation and all they understand is get it running, then that's not helping the business either. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I've seen many, many times where that becomes a constant chase where we're adjusting center line to try and get stuff to run. Um, but if we have that standard, we have that understanding, we realize we're not going to deviate too far either direction and we're going to be able to run what keeps coming. Yeah. Or it's okay if you have to adjust the machine because you have no material. The thing is, is are you aware that it's bad and are you ready to set the machine back when the good comes? But what ends up happening is that line of communication is lost or um, there's different levels of awareness on each shift. For example, they could get into the good batch on third shift <clears throat> and third shift's unaware that the machine, you know, was adjusted and all that. And so there's times when it's acceptable when you're forced to because you have no other packaging materials. The problem is, is, is that... <laughs> line of communication there so everyone understands and is the machine center line so you can put it back where it should be and you get that new lot on third shift and you have one maintenance person in the entire plant and they have no idea what happened and how to center line the machine and that's why it's incredibly critical to get all these groups involved to train everybody on the standards and what the expectations are absolutely now how do we ensure these operational standards continue to evolve then 
as the partnership with Ops and Maintenance and the other groups change over time? Is there a review process? Is there a PDCA process? How do we make sure these are improving as we improve as an organization? Well, like anything, you know, like a, a metric or anything else, they should be looked at continually. And then there should be an open feedback loop um, somewhere where, for example, as technologies and things changes or the business changes, right, you could go to a different product on a line and all your standards that you had developed are no longer relevant. And so you have to create new standards. Um, so there's a lot of variables there. Um, but it's about staying on top of it. And then another piece is auditing against the standard. And what I mean by that is this is where management comes in. When the standard is in place, um, you know, between maintenance management, operations management, even we get HR, the plant manager, we get everyone involved in auditing against it. Right. So, for example, if it's a cleaning standard. And we have the pictures out on the floor of what clean looks like. Um, we make we start out once a day. Everyone goes out to the floor and audits at different times to check against the standard. And if it's not at the standard, they're out there to coach um, and train and bring awareness to folks to make sure they're staying on top of it. As they start to see it become a habit, 30 to 90 days, depending on how well you're auditing, you can start backing that off a little bit to once a week um, and then eventually to about once a month. So um, as you do that, you're getting feedback from folks. So they'll tell you, look, you know, there's a certain piece of the standard that just isn't working. And so you can continually um, improve upon the standards. And, and at the same time, you're developing relationships with everyone on the floor. Um, and your relationships are getting closer and closer and people will start opening up more and more and giving you more and more feedback. Um, and so I think auditing is an awesome thing when it comes to evolving and, uh, and, you know, continually improving standards. I think that's a great point, Joe, specifically the building the relationship piece, right? It, what, what, What's missing today in many organizations is a is an open, honest conversation between operators and leadership. And the more you go out and audit and coach and talk to these folks, they know exactly what's wrong. <laughs> and in many cases, they know exactly what needs to change to fix it. And they've either said it to their supervisor too many times and they just don't talk anymore. And what you're trying to do is eliminate that barrier. And in addition to, you know, just making sure the standard is being followed, the point you're making cannot be overstated. It is so valuable to build a relationship and to say hi to all the operators and ask how they're doing and ask what you can do for them. I mean, if you're the maintenance manager and you want to know how to improve your plant and get massive wins, just go around and talk to people every day at the operations level and then solution their problems. Yep. Yeah. Even if it's the most minute thing and you think it's it's ridiculous, to them it's a big deal. And so it might take you 10 minutes to do something, but you've just won credibility and respect 
um, in their eyes. And you need that in order to win. Absolutely. Like you said, often they know what the problems are. They know what to, what to do to solve it most of the time as well, but they're not always listened to or they're done talking because they've said it so many times. Um, so building that relationship is not only going to allow us to prove the standards, but identify where else we may need them or how we're going to drive those for, even further forward. Now, if we have all these standards in place, what are the types of improvements or benefits that we'll see? Is it better output, lower cost, better quality, all the above? You know, what are- it's all the above. Um, I'll just give you a quick example. Current client, um, a year ago last month, we finished working with them, right? Putting standards in place, cleaning standards, inspection standards those types of things. And a year later, they're still operating close to 80% OEE where they were 35% before we started. Um, They reduced their cost per unit by 23 cents and produced more units in less time than they've ever done before. Not only that, the employees where once all the headaches were solved and, and life was good and the machine just ran, the morale within that group of individuals was amazing. I mean, and now they just expect it to run because they know if they follow the standards, it will run, right? And so you see those results time and time again. I've done it throughout my career. Um, I've seen it over and over again. And so it, it's amazing. Here's here's two ways to sh- to to show that James. So, one, this particular line produced twenty five percent more units with forty percent less shifts. They eliminated an entire shift and produced, and didn't run weekends and produced twenty five percent more units. Two, <clears throat> the company wanted to shift some of the personnel because we only did one line. And they wanted to try to say, well, let's just move them to another line and then that line will get better. The folks that worked at this line went to HR and refused to move to another line because those lines didn't have standards. (laughs) Yeah. And that, you know, it's interesting though, is when you, at least in my experience, when you first start trying to introduce some of these standards, there's hesitation to it. But then when they have it, they you know, operations, maintenance, even maintenance with, you know, precision maintenance standards and those sorts of things. They love it when they have it because now they know what they need to do and everyone's accountable to it. You know what the hardest part of our job is, James? It's the change part. Trying to put aside an ego when you come into a plant and tell them they could double their output and the the person responsible for operations is in the room and you're basically telling them you've been doing a terrible job for God knows how long. And, and you're not trying to word it that way. You're just trying to show an opportunity. But think of it like this. I mean, you're the GM of a plant that's been producing, we'll say, 100 million units a year. And we come in and assess and tell you you should be doing 180 million units a year. But like, how do you absorb that? Yeah. And it's all, it's that change management piece, right? Now, with with that being said, when we're trying to make the transition to adopt these operational standards, quantify those benefits, those types of things, what type of advice do you have to uh, give to those who are trying to start that journey? 
Is it that ego piece? Is it there's a change management piece? Is it um, just starting with some basic standards? What's that advice? I would start basic, very basic. Solve one simple problem with the use of a standard and get the quick win. And so, you know, your goal is quick wins to get everyone on board. I'd also recommend that they understand the business of the line, talk to finance, like get a snapshot, talk to engineering. What was the line designed to do? Not, not what's your target when you purchased it and installed it, what was it designed to do? And, and talk to finance about what the current cost to produce is and then what it would be if you were to hit, you know, 85% of the design rate and then start looking for where the opportunities are to start closing those gaps. There's lots of big early wins, but you also want to quantify them where you're not going to get support to continue your efforts. All right. Excellent. Now, with that being said, what's the biggest thing? What's the thing that makes the biggest difference in being successful with these? Maybe not just immediately when we're starting, but overall. Discipline and sustainability. It's easy to get motivated to get going. And, you know, everybody starts, but not everyone finishes. All right. And so that's where the auditing um, helps develop the discipline, right? Because we all have to develop it. It's like muscle memory. We get excited and motivated. Then after a while, um, you know, it just kind of goes by the wayside. The thing is, is to ingrain it in the culture. Um, and that it's a new way of operating the business and we're going to operate at the best way possible. And so developing that discipline through the auditing process, I think, is the key to success. 100%, Joe. It, it's the easiest thing to drop when you start getting busy. But it is the most important thing when it comes to creating dis organizational discipline and sustainability. And it's... What's funny is, is through all the years now, when I look back on it, is the easiest things to do, people see of no value. And so it's the first thing they drop off their plate. What the thing of value for them is in the day to day is whatever fire comes up first. And so, you know, the simplest things, cleaning that the motor, right? Oh, it just has a little layer of dust. Well, if you understand that that little layer of dust eventually leads to overheating the motor and it breaking down, right? It may be something simple and, you know, everybody thinks everybody else should do it. Um, <laughs> but those are the things that add value to the organization, a simple cleaning. Simple cleaning eliminates a lot of issues. And, but those are the things that people look at that add no value, you know, especially from a maintenance perspective. We think our job is to touch everything and fix everything because we're in maintenance. Our job is to fix stuff. But what's funny is, you know, what if that asset is uh, run to failure based on your criticality analysis? 
do you still want to touch it? And somehow we still do PMs, thousands of hours of PMs on equipment that have no consequence to the business. Right. And so <laughs> trying to solve that, I would love to be able to solve that with a simple solution, but it's just, <laughs> well, if you figure out that there. solution, I definitely want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, with all this being said around needing operational standards, you know, how we leverage them, how we do it, you know, what is the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today around operational standards? Uh, do it now and audit, right? Find a simple problem to solution through a standard, implement the standard and audit against the standard and then see what your results are. And I would just add that because most of the listeners are going to be folks in maintenance and reliability, don't think this doesn't apply to your function. It, your job is not uptime for the sake of the asset. It's uptime for the sake of the business. And that means minor stops impact reliability. And so your function as maintenance is not just respond when called or do the PM. You can add business value from the seat that you're in. Take the initiative, try to bridge the gap, work with operations to understand how they're impacting the reliability of the equipment and see if you can't partner with them to help develop these standards. All right. Excellent. Now, gentlemen, where can people find out more about you guys, Reliability X, the different things you guys are involved in? Where can they find out more if they have questions around operational standards? Where can they reach reach you at? You know, all those great things. Uh, you can reach us uh, through our website at reliabilityx.com. Um, we have uh, through email, um, joseph.anderson at reliabilityx.com or george.williams at reliabilityx.com. Um, we also, you know, we'll be at conferences, things like uh, SMRP, Reliable Plant coming up. Um, so you can reach out to us there if you're going. Um, and also we write a lot in plant services. Um, and so there's contact info in there as well. Yeah, you can always send an email to ask at reliabilityx.com. You can check us out on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. Check out our YouTube channel for learnings and videos. Um, or if you know, you can just dial 877-RLBLTYX. All right, excellent. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. I'll definitely see you guys at SMRP and uh, Reliable Plant. So looking forward to both those conferences and getting out there again. Now, do you guys have a go-to resource for operational standards, book, article, references, anything out there you want to share? For me, it's uh, Productivity uh, Press has the TPM series. Um, I would definitely grab that or, you know, TPM for process industries would be the, the books that I would go to for anything like that. All right. Excellent. Well, I appreciate it. I'll definitely put links to those as well. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you guys for taking the time today to talk to us about operational standards, you know, how we drive those things to, you know, get that consistent, as you put it, the race car driver in, in play um, so we can make sure we're doing the right things on the production line at the right time. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. 
I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.